0: Welcome to the Innovation Engine podcast. Since 2014, we've been bringing you conversations with some of the world's leading authorities on innovation. Topics we cover include technology, culture, leadership, and more. Coming to you from Three Pillar Global Studio in Fairfax, Virginia, here's your host, Will Sherlin.
1: Welcome back to the Innovation Engine podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be talking about the concept of an innovation burst event with Mike Schipolsky. Among the topics we'll discuss are why it's important to go off site with your IBEs, who should and shouldn't be there when you roll up your sleeves and start getting to work, and how to carry the momentum of an IBE back into everyday work life. Here with us today to discuss those topics and more is Mike Schipolsky. Mike is a product development executive with 15-plus years of experience leading product development efforts. In 2014, he was named the number one innovation blogger in the world at innovationexcellence.com. Mike was a Six Sigma at GE when the company started its Six Sigma efforts, and he has a Ph.D. in engineering from the Worcester Polytechnic Institute, where he also belongs to the Athletics Hall of Fame. If you're a longtime listener of the podcast, You may remember Mike's previous visit when we discussed starting the innovation process. It was episode number 55, and it ended with Mike drawing a verbal walk off of me in a little game of baseball, something I'll try very hard to redeem myself on at the end of this very episode. But until then, welcome back to the podcast, Mike. Great to have you back.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Will. It's great to be here.
1: Absolutely. Great to have you. So the last time you were here, we talked about how to kick off the innovation process. You've designed a very well-defined way for companies to do what you call an innovation burst event. Can you give listeners a quick refresher on what you mean when you talk about an IBE? Sure.
0: Uh, There's a number of things that are uh, difficult about innovation. Uh, The first thing is starting, and so I came up with a way to help companies Start uh, doing innovation, and, and that's the, the burst element of it. The uh, second element is once you start, um, are you, you're never really sure if you're taking on the right challenges or looking in the right areas, and so there's some mechanisms uh, in place there to, to actually scope and uh, upfront define highly uh, uh, potentially fertile design space. And then um, I create some design challenges, uh, usually around four or five, that a cross-functional team will work on uh, to create uh, some exciting concepts in, in new areas. And the, uh, the event kind of culminates with a report out, a, su- a summary of the most important concepts and the go-forward actions. The team kind of recommends uh, what they want to do, uh, which ones they want to investigate, and how they want to do it.
1: Yeah, and you you mentioned design challenges in that answer, and they're a key component of IBEs. What are some examples of design challenges that you've seen put into place successfully? Uh,
0: Well, uh, the design challenges, if I describe them to you, you could actually invent technologies uh, that the people that I I work with, uh, they they would find... (laughs) They uh, would frown upon. They they would find uh, a problem. But (laughs) what I I can do is... uh, well, that's, that's because I, I take so much time in, in developing uh, the right design challenges. But I, I can talk to you about how I do that and, and what they're all about. Firstly, uh, they're very, very narrow. And the intent is to uh, pull people out uh, of situations where they think they have to solve a problem that is actually uh, real uh, and they will have to implement. So I distill... The, the problem into this narrow uh, solution. Like if, if you have a big system, then I would take a very small element of it, solve the design challenge, and then pull back and say, okay, what if we then kind of flop that solution onto the big system? And um, I also uh, uh, allocate uh, insufficient time. So typically these design challenges are in the order of uh, seven minutes or so. And what that does is it it uh, helps people let go of all the the baggage about uh, you know this has to work, you know bound by kind of the constraints that we kind of all walk around with but don't see and uh, and in that sense uh, this design challenge is is the heart of the i b e
1: and one of the key concepts of good to great is the importance of getting the right people on the bus. So who are the most important people to get on the bus when it comes to an IBE? And maybe on the flip side, are there certain people that you think should be excluded from IBEs?
0: Sure. Uh, well, the, the, the most important person by far is the person who will allocate the resources to do the work uh, suggested by the IBE. This is uh, sometimes the person with the problem. For instance, somebody who wants uh, sales to be more than they are or wants to have a product in, in a region uh, that they don't, um, sometimes that person with a problem is the person who can allocate the resources, but not always. So the, it starts with the, the person in your organization with a problem, and then uh, the, that's that's important. The second is the person who can actually do something with these uh, novel Uh, design concepts at the end of the IBE and for the participants it's usually about 12 people and uh, breadth of perspective is the fundamental Um, it's uh, marketing, sales, engineering, operations uh, intellectual property uh, service uh, customer facing people the idea is to see see and solve new problems from multiple perspectives and uh, that kind of helps create uh, new solutions.
1: And in one of your posts online about the IBE, you mentioned that it might come in a few different flavors. What are the different flavors an IBE might come in or what different forms might it take?
0: Sure. The the uh, At the highest level uh, is the IBE where no one's quite sure of the market and no one's quite sure of the technology to get it to market. That's the highest level. Uh, and then one down is there could be a technology that has to be kind of implemented, commercialized, or uh, a, on the other side, a market segment that has been identified and no technology uh, to realize it. And then at the lowest level is there's a very specific problem that's in the way like a constraint, meaning there's something blocking a new product launch or blocking a new business. Then the IBE would be all about solving that problem uh, in, in new ways.
1: Okay. And, and to drill into the details a little bit of an IBE, how far in advance should one start planning one? And what are some of the things that need, need to be planned ahead of time?
0: Uh, okay. So the, it, without a problem, there's no need for an IBE. So there's got to be recognition that uh, you've companies kind of tried everything else and nothing has worked. And then the, the clock starts ticking, and typically it then starts with a, an interview of, you know, what's going on, what's the problem. And then I, get, I take a couple of weeks to assess the, uh, the competitive landscape, the, the technology, uh, and the maturity of, uh, you know, the, the technology and where things actually are. That takes uh, uh, some time, usually spread over a couple of weeks. And uh, but the planning uh, takes a bit longer than that. Uh, the um, the first and kind of most important is is selecting who will be there, and that deciding uh, how much diversity you want. Usually, it's two teams of six or so, and uh, then within the the 12 people, how do you uh, make sure you don't uh, have folks that are not going to participate because of, of whatever reason. or And the other uh, concern is people that will dominate the discussion. So if there's a strong personality on team A, then it will be uh, kind of matched with an equal and opposite strength that, that kind of counteracts that person. And the, uh, the idea is uh, to uh, invite people that are – that can actually let go of how things have been, and um, so the toughest group sometimes are the experts who think they already know the situation and know the solution, uh, but the, the reality is it's actually, um, I'll be asking them to solve a problem they've never solved before. So the idea is to create these causes and conditions where, where new thinking can, can flow and blossom. And um, another important planning event is where this thing happens because uh, like I'm trying to help people think differently, uh, geography and the surroundings matter. So uh, I typically like to do it in an off-site location and, and really help people get out of the, the day-to-day thinking and the constraints associated with that.
1: Yeah, and and the environment is meant to foster what you call eye-watering ideas that can change a company's fortunes over the long term. So what are some ways to know whether or not a certain area or business is ripe for disruption and should be focused on trying to come up with some of these?
0: Sure. Well, it it comes from an analysis of uh, how customer goodness has changed over time, meaning uh, have you been consistently delivering improved customer goodness, however, however you define that, over time? Has that been increasing, or <clears throat> is that flat? And if it, if it's flat, meaning it hasn't changed very much in a couple years or three years or whatever, then that's a sign of disruption uh, waiting to happen. So it's a kind of a flattening uh, of the value that you've been de- delivering to. Uh, customer. Also, uh, the other look at that is um, the performance of the technology. If the output of the technology is not increasing and it's flat, uh, it's going to be overcome by uh, um, an adolescent technology that's going to grow into it and uh, take over. So it's really a, an assessment of the maturity, how, how customer goodness is changing over time and how uh, the, the performance of the technology is changing over time. And uh, a flattening uh, is an indication that there's a problem.
1: Yeah, and, and you mentioned in your first answer that the output of an IBE is a report that gets sent to a company's leadership team. So I, I know IBEs may come in longer-than-one-day type of engagements, but how, how? At the end of one day, do you have enough to <laughs> to successfully say, okay, these are initiatives that you should consider as you know changing the fortunes of your company?
0: Well, right, it doesn't make sense. Uh, a, there's no way a, a day a day is enough time. But yeah. Uh, yeah. but it is, yeah. and the key is this prep work is is um, it's not brainstorming. Meaning you're looking for a thousand ideas. Companies already have too many ideas, and they just don't have uh, these eye watering ideas. They don't have ideas that are um, meaningful enough to, to warrant this uh, investment. So be, because the IBE as a premise starts with, we are going to generate five or so uh, novel concepts. Uh, they're not insane concepts. They're bordering on insane possibly, uh, but they're definitely new and exciting, and there's a lot of unknowns from that. And the, um, the effectiveness uh, or uh, efficiency of the design challenges allows the team to exercise very narrow points, very narrow parts of the design space that, that actually represent a big big area once you zoom out. And so, you know, in, in five design challenges over the course of four, four hours, uh, there's actually a lot of, of new and, and exciting concepts uh, that, that come to be. And then the remainder of the time is uh, typically uh, talking about, you know, what are the unknowns? What, what don't you know? Maybe wh- well, whether this technology will work or whether uh, anyone will buy it if, if it actually provides this novel goodness. So the team actually is so immersed in this that it's highly uh, productive. And, uh, and as part of the design challenge, uh, the report out um, comes, meaning the teams document their ideas in the form of images and sketches, and those images and sketches and prototypes um, become the report out. So the act of doing the uh, design challenge creates the material for the report out, and then that's um, – how they're able to do it. But but the re, um, a report out at the end of the day is the second best uh, uh, way. The, the first best way is the person with the problem or the person um, with, who can allocate the resources is actually a contributor to the IBE. Or um, if they're not an active contributor, they sit and watch, and they become part of the concepts that uh, are generated. And then at the end of the day, they have deep knowledge of where these concepts came from, which ones are exciting, and they have a good feel for what they're going to do uh, with these ideas at the end of the IBE.
1: Yeah, and, and once the IBE is done and you're you know, moving those, those ideas along, after the IBE is over – what are some ways that companies and teams can harness the energy that may be felt in those off-sites and continue to carry it back into their normal day-to-day work life?
0: Sure. Um, it, there has to be a, a, a mechanism to continue to pace the, uh, the work needed to advance these concepts. And that can typically be a, a regular standing meeting with the owner of the results of the IBE, the person with the problem, that they say, listen, these are the two or three concepts we're going to advance, and um, we're going to review progress on this work every Thursday at uh, three o'clock, and uh, let's go. And what's what's really cool is that at the front end of this thing, bec- because it's so uh, early, the work that that has to be done is not uh, significant in terms of time meaning can you uh, make a, a, a prototype that does this one new thing? Or can you go out and uh, call uh, several customers uh, to ask them, get their thoughts on this crazy concept? So you're not looking for uh, product robustness right out of the gate. You're looking for no yes, meaning our technology couldn't do it. To, it could. And then you're not looking for statistical significance in a VOC, most of the customer, way. You're looking at three or four or five uh, forward-looking customers, and then you actually digest this information and use your judgment. You, you judge whether there's any spark there or not.
1: Yeah, and, and on a bit of an unrelated note, in doing research for the podcast, I came across a blog post that you wrote on the quantification of novel, useful, and successful it's a great piece in which you recommend that people stop asking the questions, is it disruptive and is it innovative altogether? So what are things we should be asking ourselves instead?
0: Right. The, the novel, useful, successful framework is, uh, is helpful. Novel uh, means different. So whatever you come up with, the first question, is it different? Uh, useful. The second question is, will somebody benefit? Will a customer benefit and be successful when you provide this new feature, function, product, service? And um, will they be successful? So novel, is it different, useful? Let's define who is going to benefit, and is that benefit significant? And how successful will they be uh, when, when we, we deliver this? And this novel, useful, successful cuts through all of the jargon, all of the attachments to innovation and disruption that really do more harm than good. The idea is, have we come up with something that meets the acid test, that um, if if we make it happen, people are going to love it because their life is better for it.
1: Yeah, and and uh, a number of the articles that I pulled from are on your website, I believe, at mikechapolsky right?
0: It's uh, yeah, Mike at chapolsky
1: Mike at chapolsky uh, and also you can find much of Mike's writing at InnovationExcellence.com. dot uh, com. Anywhere else out there, people should be looking for you, Mike.
0: My my uh, website is www dot dot uh, email is uh, com and you can reach me at Twitter. It's uh, at Mike shapolsky and uh, if you send me something, I'll get back
1: to you. Okay, very nice. Well, Mike, I have a bone to pick with you. The last time you were here, we played a little bit of verbal baseball. Uh, you right, are in right. the in the Hall of Fame, uh, in the Athletics Hall of Fame, at the Worcester Polytechnic Institute. I am a Lily high school and American Legion baseball player, but I want another shot at trying to strike you out. Okay. Are you game? All right, let's have it. Let's have at it. Top of the eighth inning, no men on, no men out. Uh, I didn't like the walk you drew last time, so I'm coming up and in with a fastball. (laughs) Right. Okay, you're taking that for ball one uh, because I know you have a discerning eye. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Fastball on the outside corner for pitch two.
0: Yep, okay.
1: What are you doing with it?
0: What am I doing with the second pitch on the outside corner? Yeah. Well, uh, early in my career, um, I would have been upset and angry that you (laughs) threw it uh, under my chin. And I probably would have swung and missed uh, on the fastball in the outside corner. But because now I'm a bit more grounded uh, and I see through your intention to, uh, you know, get me off balance and knock me... Uh, out of uh, my center, uh, I would be calm and centered and take that fastball and rip it down the right field line for a stand-up double.
1: <laughs> well, you did it again, Mike. You have a 1,000% uh, on-base percentage against me, <laughs> uh, and, and you're also batting a 1,000 because you drew a walk, which did not count, and you're at bats <laughs> total. So congratulations uh, on the Thank double, you, and, and thanks so much for joining us again, Mike. Really appreciate it.
0: You're welcome, Will. Thank you.
1: If you'd like to learn more about Mike Schipolsky, you can visit his website at shapolsky.com. For the last seven years, Mike has published a new blog post each and every Wednesday night. You can subscribe to receive those posts in your inbox each week, and you won't be disappointed with Mike's writing, I can tell you from experience. He also posts regularly on InnovationExcellence.com, where he was the top-ranked innovation blogger of 2014. Last but not least, you can follow Mike on Twitter at, at Mike where he tweets once a day at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. Thanks again to Mike Schipolsky for joining us for this episode of the podcast. And thank you for joining us. Don't forget to tune in next time when we're excited to have the founder of Meet Edgar, Laura Roder, on the podcast to talk about the art of the pivot. Among the topics we'll discuss or how to know when it's time to move your team or company in a different direction. How Laura's company Meet Edgar is helping its customers get more from their social media efforts and how to manage culture in a company where the workforce is largely remote. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time. The Innovation Engine podcast is produced by 3 Pillar Global a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. You can subscribe to the Innovation Engine on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher Radio. And you can also ensure that you never miss an episode by going to 3 podcast and subscribing to receive fresh episodes in your inbox each time one comes out. You can also download our very own iOS app by going to the iTunes App Store in searching for the Innovation Engine podcast. If you like what you hear on the Innovation Engine and you live in the world of product and software development, you may like our sister podcast, Take Three. Head on over to soundcloud.com slash take three pillar with the number three to hear my partner in crime, Julia Slattery, talking with Three Pillar team members to get quick takes on the trends, technologies, and tools that are changing the way software gets made and business gets done.